Practice Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. I'm Dan Permack. On today's show, how American companies are trying to dodge China tariffs and the big tech company calling for facial recognition rules. But first, private equity is still a man's world. So for most Americans, private equity is a vague boogeyman, something they hear about every now and then from politicians or maybe from a newspaper columnist when a local company goes out of business. But the reality is that private equity impacts almost all parts of our lives, from what we eat to what we wear to how we work to even where we live. Overall, private equity-owned companies account for around 5% of America's GDP and employ nearly 6% of all American workers. That's 9 million people. But when it comes to the people at private equity firms making the decision, they're almost all exclusively men. Research from Prequin recently reported that women make up less than 18% of all private equity employees and just 10% of senior leadership positions. And when you look at the biggest firms, women are almost entirely absent from the C-suite outside of chief marketing officer roles. And unlike in venture capital, which is an industry, an investment industry of similar age and historical demographics, private equity isn't doing too much to diversify. That 18% figure has been static for two years, and a recent private equity conference survey found that only half the firms there are undertaking any internal diversity efforts, while the rest were either, quote, still thinking about it or, quote, not interested. Why it matters, again, is that private equity has an increasingly outsized influence on American life and American employment of all Americans, regardless of gender, race, or ethnicity. Unfortunately, though, private equity itself is run by a much more homogeneous group that might not fully recognize the impact of the decisions they're making. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Cara Hellander, Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer at private equity giant, the Carlyle Group. But first, this. This episode is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Know everything about coding, but not so much about banking? For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has been helping high-growth companies navigate through each stage of the startup journey. Stay tuned to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. We're joined now by Cara Hellander, Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer at the Carlyle Group. Private equity is this enormous industry, indirectly employing millions, directly employing thousands, but generally its leadership and even second and third levels are overwhelmingly male. Why is that? Dan, private equity is a relatively young industry. And when industries are just starting out and growing fast, you know, people will draw from their circle of contacts. We are naturally drawn to people who are like ourselves. And so what that means is you find a cycle of further perpetuating very similar profiles within an organization. Is it that young, though? I mean, some of these firms, including the one you work for now, are over 30 years old, right? Yeah, but, you know, you think about the other piece I would add to that is this is very much an apprenticeship business, right? And when people come in at very junior levels and then grow from within, and what this means is that it can limit the ability to bring in more diverse expertise or experience at more senior levels. So certainly, you know, we've been focusing quite a bit for a while at making sure that pipeline is as diverse as we can make it. And with that focus and with that intention, you can make meaningful progress. Carlisle has today 90 senior level women and more than half of them are on the investment side. You know, last year or in the most recent 
promotions class, 60% of our people promoted to partner were women. So I think there are those dynamics in the industry, but with focus and intention, you can make progress against that. And that's what we're endeavoring to do. Let me ask about that, though. You're right. Uh, Carlisle has a, a particularly large percentage of females on its investment staff. But that said, when you look at the management group itself, you know, two out of 15, the board, two out of 12, the entire eight person executive committee is male. Given that Carlisle has been working to build that pipeline for a while, given that a lot of these people who are on those committees aren't originals to the firm, they've come in the last, say, 10 years, why doesn't Carlisle have more women at the top of the pyramid? Yeah, that is part of, you know, efforts that are underway to really grow that level of leadership. I can tell you that we are very focused on sponsorship and mentorship. Carlisle's had a robust mentoring program in place for four years. We've had over 800 people inside the firm participate in that. So we are in the process of cultivating that leadership bench. Private equity has been a very, very lucrative business for quite some time, whether it be Carlisle or other firms. And when I write about this topic, this particularly gender diversity topic on the venture capital side of things, you know, people often come back and basically say, why are you focusing on this? Why does this matter? So let me ask you, if private equity's primary job is to generate returns for its investors, which it is, if private equity has successfully generated strong returns for its investors over years, including at Carlisle, why should we care? Yeah, we should care because we're in the judgment business. You know, it takes diverse teams to bring differences in how we see the world and what we know to our deals. Because with those differences, you can really tease out the opportunities and drive the kind of innovative change that we need to drive in our portfolio companies. You need those that diverse perspective, and then you need a culture where you share knowledge, you embrace the differences, but you also create a culture where you can help each other challenge the status quo. We are in the judgment business, and you need that diverse perspective, particularly in today's more global, complex, and interconnected world to see the opportunities that generate returns. Kara, there was a frequent study back in February, and it said that about 18% of all private equity employees were female. And also, most importantly, that percentage hadn't changed in almost two years, actually going back to October of 17. Broadly speaking, yeah. is this something the in- you believe that the industry cares enough about? The industry is beginning to care. What I can tell you is that our investors care. They are asking us more questions about the efforts underway, which I think is a well Welcome level of interest. And it's something that for the reasons I just outlined, we've been driving towards a Carlisle for earlier than many of our peers. But it is something that is more and more top of mind of the industry, both on the LP side and the GP side. When it comes to recruiting and and whether it be recruiting women or men or anybody, there's been a lot of talk about the use of AI, particularly in algorithms in helping the recruitment process. Carlisle recently acquired a majority stake in a company called HireVue, which among other parts of it uses video to help do this. Should people be concerned about the increasing use of algorithms or even video, which which means in part you're kind of being judged as a potential job candidate on your appearance. The higher view technology has a number of really strong benefits to it. One is it simply means more people have access to applying to roles that they may not otherwise have had a chance to without that technology. I think the other piece is that the algorithms themselves use very objective data, assessments, 
the answers to questions to help to evaluate candidates and take away some of the subjective elements that humans can bring to that process. So in many ways, it's minimizing the bias that can seep into a recruiting process. How should we judge private equity's success or failure when it comes to gender diversity? Do we need to have one of the big five firms have a female CEO within the next year or two? I would love to see that happen. Will we see that happen? These folks are all cycling out. Yeah, I think that the most important thing is showing some very concrete progress. Change on this doesn't happen overnight. You need to be making, putting forth the effort that's going to lead to the kind of change that you're talking about. But showing that they're really developing the pipeline of talent to achieve that ultimate outcome. Thank you to Cara Hellander, Chief Inclusion Diversity Officer at the Carlisle Group. My final two right after this. Earlier, we highlighted Silicon Valley Bank's experience with helping startups. But with Silicon Valley Bank, you're also getting a partner committed to supporting you as you strive to hit your next milestones. Perhaps that's why 50% of VC-backed tech and life science companies choose Silicon Valley Bank. Visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas. Bank here. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is the U.S.-China trade war. There are reports this week that the two sides are moving closer to signing a so-called phase one agreement, possibly even by later this month, although China is demanding that additional tariffs be lifted. In the meantime, Axios' Courtney Brown reports today that American companies have grown increasingly frustrated with the so-called exclusion process, whereby they can apply to not have certain tariffs slapped on their imported goods. Again, remember, it's U.S. companies that pay the tariffs, not Chinese exporters or the Chinese government. Anyway, companies have a very clear understanding of how to apply for the exclusions through the U.S. Trade Representative's office, but after that, it's a murky crapshoot. Some applications get approved or denied without any explanation, while others just sit endlessly in limbo. The bottom line here is that lawmakers of both parties are beginning to grumble, so it's possible that more organization and transparency could be on their way. And finally, Axios' Kava Waddell reports this morning that IBM will call on Congress to better regulate facial recognition software. albeit not too strongly. In doing so, IBM joins Microsoft and Amazon, plus the U.S. Chamber of Congress, in arguing that piecemeal legislation at the local and state level should be replaced by a federal framework, one that would include, for example, notice and consent for those of us who are going to be subject to facial recognition, the implementation of export controls so the software can't just be sold to foreign governments or foreign companies, and mandating that law enforcement disclose their use of facial recognition software and then also publish regular transparency reports. All of this, though, just like with the technology itself, is still in the very early innings. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Jesse Lee, have a great National Donut Day. Yeah, turns out there are two of those. And we'll be back on Thursday with another Pro Rata Podcast.